US CPI is out today and markets are preparing themselves. Bond yields are inverting. Oil prices have fallen massively. Last minute falls in equities too. The expectation is demand is going to fall. And if prices go out more than expected in that inflation report today, that'll just heighten expectations for bigger moves by the Fed. I mean, the race is already on today between the Bank of Canada and the RBNZ, fighting it out to see who can lift rates the most. How long can the RBA hold out against this short of magnitude of increase? And today, we look at the real dark cloud, Europe. If that gas pipeline isn't turned back on, what happens to European bonds? What happens to the euro, which was just four decimal places away from parity overnight? What happens to the people who can't afford to heat their homes? It's Wednesday, the 13th of July, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the big move this morning has been in oil. WTI is down 8.1%. Brent is down 7.4%. Both are well below $100 a barrel now. In fact, WTI not far above $95. Last minute falls in the US equity markets. The S&P 500 down 1.1%. The Nasdaq is down 1%. Both had moved very little until the hour of power. In fact, such little movement. I had to check to see that they were open or not. Uh, But a last minute panic that also saw the Dow down 0.6%. In Europe, though, shares are up 0.8% for the CAC current, 0.6% for the DAX, 0.4% for the Eurostox 50. Yesterday, we saw big falls in Tokyo, down 1.6%. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong, down 1.3%. The CSI 300, down 0.9%. And look, it's a similar story in currencies. The US dollar has settled down at 108.1 on the DXY index. The Aussie dollar has made up some of yesterday's losses. It's up half a percent to 67.7 US cents. The Japanese yen also up half a percent. The euro and the pound also up a bit. So who is losing out if we're seeing that the US dollar is staying steady? Well, it's the emerging markets, particularly in Asia. The Philippines, South Korea, Indonesia, Thailand, Taiwan. uh, They are the ones that are losing out to this strong US dollar, as we were talking about on the podcast yesterday. And bond yields are down today, just three basis points off 10-year treasuries, taking them back below 3%, but down more in Europe. 10 years down 11 basis points in Germany, 13 in France, 10 in the UK. Uh, at least 10 basis points off across most of Europe, in fact, today. So Gavin Friend joins me uh, from NAB in London. So, uh, yeah, emerging market currencies feeling the hurt from this rising US dollar. We talked about that briefly yesterday, but also now we've got this inverted yield curve. It's been here for a few days, but it's it's deepening now. US two-year treasuries got down to 2.98% overnight, 10 years down to 29 In fact, at one point, 10 years, we're more than 12 basis points below the two-year rate. So, I mean, if we're looking for a sign uh, of the expectation of of a recession, well, it seems like it is picking up even more now. Yeah, good morning, Phil. Well, I think, you know, the uh, the pieces are being aligned, aren't they, at the moment? Um, as you say, not a not a lot going on in, in stocks, but and bond markets really whipping around. But the sort of steady state is the point you make about curves inverting 2s, 10s, 5s, 10s, 7s, 10s. They're all moving that way. The three-month 10-year uh, spread, which is historically a more reliable indicator of recessions, I mean, that curve hasn't inverted. It's, it's not really anywhere near it, but it's dropped basis points in just three or four weeks. Um, and that's a, that's, a, that's a steep decline that even if you look back, we didn't see moves of that size back in the GFC or the pandemic. So it's heading in, the, in that direction. And all of this, I think, because we're building up for you know, the latest U.S. June CPI print today, where the headline is set to hit a 40-year high, and that'll keep the Fed fixated on bringing inflation to heel. But you've also got these attendant worries coming out of China for COVID. And then, of course, the ever closer um, possible, or let's say likely, 
step up in Europe's energy crisis. So, you know, you mentioned oil down um, what six and a half percent to ninety six. That's a three month low. Yes, um, a basket of commodities down about half of that. In China, we might say some thirty million citizens are under some form of sort of movement restriction. Daily cases over three hundred. That's been the case since May, late May. Infections in Shanghai above fifty for four days in a row. More uncertainty about the new BA five strain, and then comments from the IEA. Executive Director Fatih Burrell, that uh, nations might not have seen the worst of the global energy crunch. I mean, they're playing right into this, uh, you know, and so to Europe's energy problem, which we can discuss. Yeah. But they are. The EIA published their short-term energy outlook today, which is uh, obviously what he was talking from. But there's, you know, they are seeing next year energy prices will come down. So Brent, which will average 104 barrel this year, is going to go down to 94 next year, which is, I mean, still quite a bit more than 71, which is where it was in uh, 2021. Uh, but that sounds like some I- inflation relief. But I mean, why is it coming down? Is it coming down because of demand destruction? The answer is probably yes, isn't it? Well, in the context of what we've just discussed, clearly that is what is driving this. The problem, though, for Europe is that we, we may well see through demand destruction, oil prices coming down. And you, you, you will know, um, you know, a number of private sector institutions are talking about 60 bucks, 70 bucks, 80 bucks. In Europe, with the gas issue, um, Europe consumes um, just under 400 billion cubic meters of, of gas per year with 155 billion or 40% of that coming from Russia. Now, we know that the flows have slowed markedly in recent weeks to sort of 60% of below normal. We also know that the Nord Stream 1 pipeline from Russia to Germany shuts down for two weeks annually, and it shut down a couple of days ago. Um, And um, there are now questions on whether, dark questions on whether it will restart after that maintenance period ends on the 21st July, that's next Thursday. If it doesn't, and Russian President Vladimir Putin has no shortage of reasons, you know, if he felt compelled to offer any uh, for not restarting flows, at that point, Europe has to confront the possibility that, you know, with gas storage only about 62% full, and thereby they will be some 100 billion cubic meters of gas short for this year, about a quarter of what they need. Yes, you know, they will be able to sort of crimp their demands a bit. They'll have to. They'll have to go into sort of rationing. So households and critical industries will get some. Um, There'll be plans to sort of crimp demand uh, households turning down the the stats in the winter, you know, better and more insulation, filling, fitting new heat pumps and Germany building out LNG capacity as quick as it can. But all this takes time and Europe doesn't have time. It still doesn't answer the question of where do you get the the missing 100 billion cubic meters from? Uh, There is just no spare capacity out there. And look, they're enjoying enjoying all the hot weather now, but we're just a few months away from cold weather. So all of this would explain why the euro got so close to parity today. 1.0000, that's four zeros, three. You can't get any closer than that. Uh, And then the, you know, the zoo survey from from Germany, the confidence index in Germany, a 10-year low from minus 53.8 to minus, uh, sorry, minus 53.8 from minus 28. I mean, that is quite a step backwards, isn't it? Well, that's the lowest level. That's consistent give or take with the lows in the 2008-9 GFC and the 2011-12 euro crisis. So they're not, uh, you know, that, that, that's not good company. Um, and, you know, we might say that that German zoo um, survey, investor survey, 
does tend to be volatile, more volatile than perhaps the EFO survey. It is, after all, an analyst survey, and it mirrors what's going on there. But come back to the point. If, if Europe has to confront the prospect of no gas coming down that pipeline for some time, this question is going to seriously test Europe's, Europe's resolve on a whole range of things. You know, Ukraine aligning with the US, the Western Alliance on this, because it can make cutbacks. Um, but we've just come through a pandemic where economies were forcefully shut down. Are we seriously saying that there's going to be an appetite to shut them down again, to crimp demand, which will help with inflation, obviously, of course, but to try and get that back down to levels of supply? And, you know, this is going to be because there just won't be the enough gas. Um, what is bizarre? Now, I, Russia, find it bizarre. I mean, you talk about this a great deal. I don't hear a lot of people talking about it, even though it is literally coming down the, or not coming down the pipeline. Uh, and, you know, and I mean, it, it sounds devastating, doesn't it? It sounds because it could be more devastating than actually the pandemic itself was. Well, absolutely. And the, the thing is, is that Russia knows this. It's part of the sort of divide and rule approach. And unfortunately, that's why on the 21st of July, when uh, Nord Stream 1 is supposed to go back on again, it's the same day as the ECB meets. The ECB will be raising rates, as we know, but they're also supposed to be coming out with some details, some firmer details on the anti-fragmentation tool. Now, there's a lot of dialogue about that they're not quite ready for this. They've got an interim measure, but the whole the full package is not yet there. They better be ready because if, those, if that gas is not turned back on again, there is going to be an almighty spike in gas prices. The ECB is going to be hiking rates into this and markets are going to test that fragmentation issue. And the euro, going being, to be right- euro being on parity, that'll just be a distant memory, won't it? I mean, it'll be... And so, <laughs> well, that, so it's, that, it's that unfolding view. It's the downshift in real rates in Europe, which have dropped remarkably versus US rates recently. It is the, the fact that Europe's now moved into a current account and trade deficit for forever, basically, since it's been in operation. Um, and all of these things are conspiring to um, refocus the market's mind on, on um, things like the euro, its value, and um, it, it, it's going to be tested. Actually, it may well be tested parity as soon as today, depending on what happens with that US CPI print. Yeah, I, exactly. So we get that today. So the market is expecting uh, it's going to lift a little at 1.1% month-on-month uh, yeah, a, a, a turn down would be nice, wouldn't it? But we sort of know these things, don't we? From sort of all, all the provisional readings, we we have a pretty good idea of where it's going to where it's going to be. Well, we know that um, sort of utility and food bills, gasoline prices are going to drive that headline up from eight point six. The question is to where. It would be a lovely surprise if it was not as high as that, but that looks like wishful thinking. The core rate, however, is likely to drop back, and you know, to something like um, five point seven annually from a peak of six and a half back in March. I mean, that's comforting for the Fed, but... Yeah, as I we think, said before, think, though, those, those what you take out are the elements that are driving the big problems, though, when you start looking at core rates. So it's perhaps a little bit meaningless. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it is the headline rate that's going to capture attention. Markets are, rate markets are rallying at the moment into this, you know, i.e. yields coming down because we're worried about recession. Um, if we think about outside of gasoline and, and food and those things, we could see re- there's every possibility that rents is going to stay high. They will come lower as that US housing market rolls over, but it might be too early to see that. Things like car, secondhand car prices and flights and hotels, they could all be elevated as well. And so if you get, if you get an upside shock, um, you're going to get markets, again, going into not, is it 50, 75? Is it 75, 100 
at the next meeting. And that is going to, so that's going to keep the, the, the short end anchored. and It's going to push the yield curve further into reversion and probably uh, lead to another yeah. push up on yeah. the dollar. And uh, how does the rest of the world cope with that is the question, isn't it? So, I mean, it's all heading in that direction. So we had the NFIB small business uh, optimism survey or lack of optimism survey in the United States down from 93.1 uh, to 89.5, which is quite a big drop again. It's the weakest it's been since 2013. But business owners expecting better business conditions over the next six months fell four points down to a negative 54%, which is actually the lowest. This survey's been going for 48 years, and it's the lowest they've seen. But another survey, very quickly, we've got to move on because we've got so much to do today. I was just, the- just going to say, look at all the headlines. Plan to hire, increase capex, higher selling prices, expectations of higher sales, expectations of better economy, and a good time to expand. All lower. Yeah. Exactly. Enough said. Yeah. Now, business survey. Uh, well, that fell a long way as well. Confidence fell from plus six to plus one for Australia yesterday, even though business conditions are holding up. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, but Australia is doing better than anywhere else. But I, I guess, you know, a lot of the concern will be, well, how can Australia do so well if the rest of the world is doing so badly? So that's going to be knocking uh, confidence locally. Well, it will do. I think we should just, you know, the business conditions drop from 13 to, uh, to from 15 to 13, sorry, was actually, it's still strong across states, across most industries. It's that broader confidence measure that you talk about that fell uh, from six to one. That's a below average level. And it reflects, you know, higher inflation, higher interest rates, I guess, global uncertainty, cloud in the outlook. Confidence in the retail sector took a really big hit, down 20 points, well into negative territory, reflect, reflecting, I guess, the outlook for household spending. Um, and that sort of, you know, I guess the other thing is the standout indicator in the survey, I think, was, again, prices. So labor costs up 3.6% from 2.4%, purchase costs up 48 from 3.6%, retail prices remaining elevated. All that points to a very strong or another strong CPI print when we get that for Q2 on the 27th of this month. And it might mean that something, you know, there's sort of underlying inflation, trim mean, could be 1.5, 1.6, Q on Q. I mean, for an annual, on an annual rate, that pushes, uh, you know, CPI well above the 2 to 3% boundary. And that's why the RBA is going to have to carry on going. Well, yeah, and how far do they have to go? Because we've got the RBNZ today, of course, 50 basis points uh, is what's expected. So that's going to push them up to 2.5%. I'm not sure if we get any sort of guidance on, on where to from here. And then the Bank of uh, Canada, I mean, they're expecting to take the RBNZ's 50 basis points and add another 25, aren't they? Up to 2.25%. So all are, yeah. you know, 225 once 2.5%. I mean, the RBA, if they do, do go in that direction, they've got a lot of catching up to do. Uh, indeed. But of course, that sets the backdrop, doesn't it? You know, people, I mean, these central banks, don't act in unison. They act alone. But when you get, you know, maybe, you know, 75 basis points from the move from the Bank of Canada, it will tend to infect, infect all sorts of markets. And people will see the US CPI through that lens. And, uh, you know, we've talked about the sort of market reaction we might get from that. All right. And uh, where you are in the UK, very briefly, because it's going to take a while, but an update on the uh, uh, who's going to replace the caretaker PM, who I'm not quite sure what he's doing these days, uh, sitting in and uh, watching Pointless on TV, perhaps. Uh, but the favourites on Bet365, uh, Rishi Sunak and Penny Mordaunt. So Rishi Sunak, I mean, what is interesting is what are they going to do with tax? So Rishi Sunak is basically saying uh, he's not going to do anything with it. Penny Mordaunt saying she wants to at least slash the tax on fuel. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to take, but it's going to take months to get this sorted out. Next week we have a vote, don't we? The final vote, they, they get it down to two, but then they open it up to the to the broader membership of the of the Tory party. 
it's going to be September before we have an answer. It, it will be, but they'll have <clears throat> the month of August, excuse me, to sort of go through and canvas opinion there, and we'll get a better sense then, Marcus, get a percent, better sense of just what sort of tax plans they've got. Actually, of those two, I'm not saying it's going to be, be those two, but if it were to be those two, <clears throat> Rishi Sunak is saying he's not going to cut taxes, as you say, because that, that's, quite, that's quite fiscally you know, sensible. And Penny Morden is is at least, you know, at the back of the queue. She's not going for big tax cuts. There are tax cuts, but they're fairly conservative. So, you know, I think the markets should take that quite well in terms of what it means for, you know, what the Bank of England might need to do to head yeah. that off. Okay. UK GDP as well. Too. There's a bit going on, isn't there? We get Europe's industrial production, China trade numbers as well. So uh, a, a falling growth in exports is expected year on year, isn't it? So quite a bit to look out for. Yeah. UK GDP is going to expect it to be flat. It could quite easily be, this is for the month of May, it could quite easily be negative. And it's building up to a Q2, which is undoubtedly going to be negative anyway. So difficult to see some good news there. Yeah, <laughs> or anywhere. Uh, so there we are. Uh, but that's the way it is these days. But enjoy your life as much as you can. You know, don't let these things bring you down. Uh, that's it for today. Good to talk, Gavin. Thanks, Phil. Oh, dear. There we are. That's the morning call for this Wednesday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then. <laughs>